This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 91. Today, our special guest is Dr. Sina Haynes. We talk with Sina about well-being and all the ways that she supports others on their well-being journey. You don't want to miss this, folks. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Welcome, everyone. It's Michelle. And Tracy. And welcome back to another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> it's been a great week of podcast recording and interviews. It's just so stimulating, right? And this interview, I'm so inspired. Just so inspired. I, I am too. I am too. And you know, this is Michelle, and I first met Cena through the National Academies of Practice. She came in and as a new executive committee member, and you know, she was someone I didn't know, but every time I had an encounter with her, I'm like, she is amazing, and I knew someday she'd be in our podcast, Tracy, because we have such similar passions about clinician well-being and moving as far away from burnout as we can. Oh, yeah, and you know, I love her intention, and I love that she has taken every experience, I think, that she's had in her life, right, and really leveraged it to its fullest potential, right? And she has yes. really just stepped in to who she's meant to be and sharing the gifts that she's meant to share. It's just, like I said, so inspiring. It is. And you know what else about her? She makes it all look so easy. I know. I know. She does. She does. So she's in our lives for a reason. And she's in your lives for a reason, folks, if you're listening to this. <laughs> That's right. She loves to teach and she's going to teach you on the podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Sina Haynes. She is Chair, Department of Pharmacy Practice and Professor at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. She has numerous fellowships. She's a fellow in the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, the American Pharmacists Association, the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, and she's a distinguished fellow at the National Academies of Practice. In addition to everything she does in her academic and professional career, she also is the residency well-being coordinator. She leads faculty for well-being and resiliency in the Office of Well-Being. She's a certified health and wellness coach, a certified yoga instructor, 
and she is currently the Vice President of Professional Development with the National Academies of Practice. So stay tuned and listen to this fabulous interview with Dr. Sina Haynes. Well, welcome, Sina. We are so excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Yes. Great to have you. It is. So uh, this is Michelle, and um, Sina, I've known you for a little while now, and I've been around you enough to know that you have a love for travel, for great food, and fabulous wines. So we'd like to start out with this banter, and why don't you just banter us right now and tell us the three of your favorites of those. So this was really hard for me to pick, I have to say, but two places came to mind, Italy and Guatemala. And then I just kind of rested on Italy. And there are many reasons for that. But two in particular that stood out to me as I reflected is I honeymoon there. And I've had the opportunity to teach a global health elective experience in Italy, sort of an immersion elective. And I was just recalling how I felt like a citizen being there to teach this course and how much more I learned about the rich history and feeling like a community member. I have been really fortunate to travel distant places and savor experiences around the globe. And I am indeed a foodie. I just love seeing a rainbow of colors on my plate and having diverse tastes. I certainly love to cook. I'll tell you that the crock pot and the Instapot are in constant circulation in our kitchen. And as for wine, I love a super Tuscan or a Merlot, a Malbec, and really anything from that's an Argentinian wine is right up my alley. Mm. Those, uh, those reds are some of my favorites as well. So looking Yummy. forward to sharing <laughs> a glass with you someday. Yes, I look forward to that. Yeah, I want to taste your cooking. <laughs> You're welcome to. All right. <laughs> well, see, uh, you know, Tracy and I, we're all things interprofessional. And we like to say we started doing interprofessional work before it was cool. Like we go way back <laughs> at the bedside being interprofessional colleagues and always saw the vision of what it could be. And we think it's really cool that you started your health professions career as a dietitian and then became a pharmacist. And so tell our listeners a little bit about that journey. Sure. So my journey to dietetics and nutrition was born from my own personal struggles with weight and the stigma associated as an adolescent. My teenage years were difficult, also due to a strained relationship with my father and feelings of not fitting in with my peers. And this really led me to console myself and my emotions with food. So taking control of my behaviors and shifting my mindset, how I looked at food and developing healthy routine exercise led me to pursue becoming a dietitian to really help pay it forward to others. It was during my senior year while earning my bachelor's degree when working on my senior thesis that I began to see synergies between dietetics and clinical pharmacy practice. One area in particular that stood out at the time in my education was parenteral and enteral nutrition, which was actually under a pharmacist oversight in many health systems. At the time, I was also working in a community pharmacy during my undergrad, and the pharmacists were so encouraging me to pursue a doctorate degree in pharmacy. So within my first year as practicing as a dietitian, I made the decision to apply to pharmacy school. My previous degree as a nutritionist has really served me well. 
And that same passion for nutrition guided me towards specialization in ambulatory care practice, which is essentially chronic care, chronic disease management. And I had a very heavy, heavy emphasis in endocrinology. So obesity came back around as one area of focus for me. I went on to complete a specialty residency and board certification in ambulatory care practice, which followed by over a decade of working alongside with other health professions, interprofessionally, optometry, dentistry, podiatry, nursing, pharmacist, and physician, all in underserved and underinsured multicultural populations who had significant healthcare disparities. I never imagined I would become a clinician educator, but the passion was ignited for me in pharmacy school during my advanced clinical rotations, working with faculty, and seeing that light switch of understanding in learners that I tutored or provided supplemental instruction to really solidified my path to pursue a faculty position after my residency, and I have remained in an academic institution for my entire life. Oh, that is wow. what a journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you take all your experiences, right? You're just, you're a, a learner in your experience. You know, I can just really yes. see that how everything you've experienced has shaped the next step in your life. Yes. Yeah. When I look back, it's just amazing. I kind of marvel at that when you realize where you've come from and how everything just fuses and connects. Yeah. Yeah. We often do exercises with some of our coaching clients, right, around mapping their journey, right, mm -hmm. and all the, the significant milestones and the things that have occurred to them and how that's informed, not only what they do, but who they are, right? As yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You just kind of mapped your whole life for us right there. It was awesome. I know. <laughs> I know. That's how our stories inform us. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's great. Well, a big part of your story is well-being, and uh, you certainly have a, you've developed a passion for that as well, right? And so I, I want to ask you first, you know, well-being, the word is thrown around, thrown around. So for you, what does that mean? And then where, where was that, where was the catalyst for your well-being journey now? I truly believe my passion for well-being was ignited through my personal struggles in life and wanting to pay it forward. So this importance of lifestyle medicine and preventative health strategies. I think so often we fall into this pattern of acute care management, sick care, not what I or you imagine healthcare should be. I consider it my calling and privilege to guide on the side to encourage and support patients towards their goals and help them achieve small steps towards their wellness vision plan. To savor the small wins, to shift and see the shift in their own identity and recognize that the process is more important and impactful than the outcome. Well-being is really subjective, and I think there are lots of factors that can influence and change over time, much of which relates to two, your psychosocial resources and support. So I really feel that it's meeting a patient where they're at and helping them in their personal well-being journey. Yeah. A lot of the individuals that we work with in our coaching programs, you know, around work-life balance, they're like, this is on almost everybody's list, right? They want to live a healthy lifestyle. They want well-being. It's kind of their motivator, really, right, for for having balance between work and home and, you know, but it, it's not their passion, 
Okay. <laughs> and let's just be honest. Some of the stuff on there, the diet, the exercise, you know, so I, I appreciate what you're saying about starting where they're at mm-hmm. and focusing on the process, not so much the end game, mm-hmm. but just the process of who you become and, and what you learn along the way. And then having that support too. That's another thing that we really encourage them is that you're not on any journey by yourself. right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes I, I can say being, a person who has been type A, you know, we get so fixed on, I want to arrive at C, I must go A, B. Mm-hmm. And so being, shifting your mindset to be more open, therefore you may still arrive. And maybe at the time you originally thought you will eventually get there if it is a priority, but you may do a, a B, C or, you know, it's, it's sort of like being nimble and understanding that it is a process. Yeah. Right. Lots of ways to get there. Yes. <laughs> it's like nothing straight. Right. <laughs> right? Yes. Nothing. No path is straight. <laughs> um, so let's kind of shift our focus a little bit to the current state, right? We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And you mentioned that, right, you've been in an academic setting. Like, you're, I mean, it's all been about academics for you, right? And you have an academic role now. What are you seeing in regards to like stress and anxiety levels when it comes to students and faculty, you know, in the midst of this pandemic right now? Absolutely. Well, you know, we have been facing unprecedented times for nearly a year, which I cannot believe in some respects. And frontline healthcare professionals have been facing fear and uncertainty and anxiety about so many things like being infected or the risk of family members who represent vulnerable populations. Some of my faculty are working in new roles and with technologies that are completely outside of their comfort zone. Our instruction, with the exception of interprofessional education, experiential learning, and some skills assessment has entirely flipped virtual. So this challenges the engagement of our learners and really our faculty resiliency. This has been especially hard for our first year pharmacy students because they miss that initial bonding with their classmates. We know from the well-being research that the human and social connection is the most important well-being dimension. And we are all missing those physical connections with our friends, family, and colleagues. So our resilience, the ability to bounce back in this difficult situation, and really to come back and rise stronger, might be the biggest challenge that we have all been facing, which has significantly impacted my faculty, the residents, and the students, and really, you know, all of us, the entire world. So I have tried to create opportunities for faculty and students to come together through more of an open and sharing and safe environment. For example, in the department, I have a well-being and hospitality committee that I serve as ex officio on. And our goal is to create events that can help guide our students or our faculty affectionately with the students. I call them my wellness allies. And it's really their ideas that come forward and how to have near peer support to create these events or initiatives that actually happened to exist before COVID. But I think with COVID, the pandemic, it has been ever more impactful and meaningful. So continuing to grow that student support network, then also being very intentional in designing things that help my faculty in duality to that. That's that's great, Sina. And one thing I was really struck with is 
when you're going through a crisis and busy times like this, it's so easy to think that you got to let go of connectivity because you got to stay focused on what's in front of you, but you'll pay for it in the long run. So I think it's just really great that you're keeping people connected right now because that will impact well-being and resilience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, having gone for so long as we have, many have set in with this anxiety paralysis. So, you know, how do you create support networks using technology, knowing that there needs to be sensitivity because people are constantly using it, you know, how to be innovative, creative, supportive, and, and continue to create that community that's ever so needed. Right, right. Well, you know, we just think that you're pretty amazing because we know how much you do and all the contributions that you make. You know, you're a teacher, a department chair. You're the vice president for professional development of the of the National Academies of Practice, or NAP. And now you're growing well-being practices and supports for others. And before we get into how you do it all, Sina, we want to dig a little bit deeper into your well-being practices first. And if you could start out by telling our listeners how you became a credentialed health coach and what you enjoy most about coaching others on their health. And uh, do you coach health professions or only or anybody? Tell us a little bit about your coaching. So I have indeed come full circle in my education and training in pursuing my credential as a health and wellness coach and a yoga practitioner. So yoga is the only form of physical activity that I found allowed me to quiet the monkey mind, focus on my breath, you know, that deep diaphragmatic breath that helps our vagus nerve and our parasympathetic system. The mo- the movement or really the asanas or the postures come second to the breath. And I discovered yoga only in my 40s and truly wish I found the practice younger in life. Now as 50 is at the door knocking, I see the dividends of a regular practice in my flexibility, agility, strength, and mindfulness. The coaching certification did take me back to my roots in supporting clients, but still patients towards their wellness vision, drawing upon positive psychology, appreciative inquiry, motivational interviewing, as well as other cognitive behavioral therapies. And 2021 is also leading me to journey to advance a meditative practice credential in supporting clients through a certification course in mindful living. I will be spending the next nine months in this certification program and have great excitement in what this can bring for my coaching and yoga teaching. I did research a number of coaching programs, but did settle on well coaches in terms of my health and wellness coaching credential. They have existed since the early 2000s. I think they were the first school of coaching for health and wellness professionals. They have a vision of creating health professionals who are experts in really facilitating behavior change. What I love most about coaching is that it moves me out of this like expert hat and fully into mentorship and what I like to call the guide from the side, empowering clients to use their strengths, talents, and their past experiences to achieve their individual wellness plan. I get to work with diverse populations and backgrounds, not just healthcare professionals. I truly marvel at the accomplishments, dedication, and excitement that folks share in this journey of discovery. Okay, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
Wow. You are just so intentional and just so clear. I, I just love it. I love Thank what you're bringing to people. Yeah. It's amazing when you step into the calling, you know, you just, you realize sort of what you were meant for and that you can look back and all the, the things you've learned, those failing forward, all of that and see um, what you were meant for. I think finding your why, you know, what we yeah. talk about in setting purpose and meaning. Right, right, right. right. And it makes right. such a difference when you're doing something that is coming from your purpose, right? That has that depth of meaning in it and, uh, and sharing that with others and helping them find their own way, right? In the, in the midst of the journey. Yeah, Absolutely. well, I think, I think the other thing that your story brings out, Sina, is it's, it's being clear in what you want, but then it's matched with action, like getting the next cert, like, it, it's like, it's like clarity. It's like, you know, again, process and progress. You're just moving down that thing. And so I think it's a really just shines in your story. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, it's very clear how passionate you are. <laughs> People say that about us too. Oh my gosh, you guys are just so passionate about that, right? <laughs> kindred spirits. Yes, yes, love it. One of my favorite. I love saying kindred spirits. I say that to my husband. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, can you, um, we know you're doing a, a well-being elixir newsletter, right? You're publishing that. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and your intention in starting that newsletter? Yeah, so this comes back to the pandemic. Um, it certainly provided its own set of stressors and challenges, as we've discussed. But it has also brought blessings and positive fruits, one of which is the launch of the Wellbeing Elixir bringing that pharmacist forward, have to have an elixir, but also the guide on the side coaching is what I call our, my coaching and yoga apothecary. The pandemic really thrusted me to take the vision in my mind as this future aspiration to a, you're doing it now reality. I thought to myself, why am I waiting when the need for mental nourishment is now more than ever? Thankfully, I have a partner in this work, my husband, Stuart, who was equally excited to collaborate. And the newsletter, coaching, and yoga is really part of a greater vision I have to open a wellness center. Ooh, wow. big vision. All yes. right. We love it. Bring it. <laughs> yeah, so the vision that I'm thinking of in this wellness center is, to, is essentially a world where every person is inspired and empowered to become their happiest and healthiest self. We want to really have a mission for helping individuals and communities achieve a sense of well-being. Wow. Uh, hey, you. Great, and you recently great. had an anniversary, didn't you? Yes. Ah, uh, that's great. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have your husband as your partner, isn't it? Truly. We share so much similar education and training, obviously similar, similar passions, and I've even gotten him to start practicing yoga. <gasps> oh, right. wow. You have to teach us that secret. <laughs> I know. It's just when I teach, though. He's like, you teach on Saturday, I come on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really great. And... um. So you kind of mentioned the yoga apothecary show. Now, this is your yoga on your YouTube channel, right? Mm -hmm. um, so share a little bit more about that and, you know, how, how that, how do you, do you like doing that? Like on YouTube, like by yourself? And it, 
it was uh, certainly a little like, oh, can I really do this? I had a moment where I thought I'm almost 50. I can't do all of the inversions that some people can do. Are people actually going to want to see this? And I had to say, "Mm -mm, don't do that. This is a calling. You want to provide yoga, especially in the time of the pandemic, because it's, again, what thrusted that to come forward that you're going to do this. And you have the support of your husband. And really, as I mentioned, yoga has brought me so many benefits to my mind and body that I wanted to just carry that forward. I'd love to share that one of the main sources of the yoga teachings that I learned in my 200 teaching uh, training comes from the Yoga Sutras. And this was compiled approximately 2,000 years ago. It's very clear and succinct. It's like the commandments of yoga. And this describes the goal of the practice and that if we can cultivate discriminative discernment, future suffering is avoidable. And I think of discriminative discernment as being a benevolent judge in our own everyday life. So learning to see what's real, what's unreal, what is permanent, what is temporary, like our constantly changing thoughts. So I try and pull from this sacred text into designing sequences, messages, and practice. My channel has several playlists on it, but one of them is uh, this idea that I had to take every letter of the alphabet and create a sequence and a message around that. So for example, it has this key well-being message. So A is for awe, B is for balance, C is for celebrate. And that experience was so enlightening to me and exciting for me to be able to bring that forward to others. It really warms my heart to hear students share how the messages impact their mindset on and off the mat, how they're able to become more mindful as they flow, and experience this power and transformation over time in their thinking, not just the physical benefits of the practice. Mm. That's such a great story, too, about how you just kind of put it in a framework to help teach people and have different experiences. And I just want to tell our listeners, you need to go out to her YouTube channel and see her in action. (laughs) It is very impressive. And I just, you know, I've been on a a yoga curiosity um, journey for about the past year. But I definitely see the novice to expert when I look at you. Is an, it is a journey, and what I love about yoga is it just teaches us that practice of patience and of persistence. It uses, it helps us with our grit muscle, because really, you discover so much on the process, again, as we've talked about, and you come through this journey. So when I say it took me four or five years to do crow pose, and listeners might, might be like, well, what's crow pose? look up a picture of crow pose or get on one of my channel, you'll see it. But four to five years, right? So this, it comes in time and realizing and valuing all the effort and the deep and rich learning that occurred to be able to access and train your nervous system, your muscle memory to take that shape. And how can you apply that in your life? Right, right. Many lessons in the lesson. Yeah, off the the mat. mat. Off the mat. (laughs) Well, but you know, I also know you do a lot of other things too. Like you do weightlifting with CrossFit, Mm -hmm. right? You believe also from a um, 
diet perspective, you know, time restricted eating and all those yes. things too. So you really like are the whole package. <laughs> <laughs> you're all that in a bag of chips and oh, you're back so in the day. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Yeah, I believe it. the CrossFit to me is important. Um, again, it's one of those things like you think you're Sisyphus going up the mountain with a boulder. Like, how can I do this? I'm going to be 50 years old. No, we can. There's wonderful ways to modify. It doesn't matter what anybody else is achieving. It only matters what I'm working on. And when you can marvel at the idea that I started just four years ago with CrossFit and could barely, you know, pull up. 35, 45 pounds on a bar uh, to let's say deadlift, right? Which is a form of functional fitness and how we need to bend and where, how we need to use our body, bending the knees and using your spot. Anyway, I could go down a whole rabbit hole, but starting at 45 pounds and, and I'm up to 115. Wow. So it is just this amazing, you kind of, again, set back and have awe on the journey. And it teaches you that same principle of patience persistence, practice, creates permanence. All the P's. Gotta have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's something. Well, and I, and I love your message that really this is, uh, it is about the journey and it's about persistence yeah. and patience and, you know, just, just, it's not immediate gratification <laughs> like we all want, right? I want to lose that 15 pounds tomorrow. <laughs> yes. And I'll not add another now, not yes. six months from now, right? Like tomorrow. And the other thing to your point, another P, it's personal. And to your point just made, you know, so much, so many times people in the group conditioning world, whether it's yoga, CrossFit, others, you may fall into that social comparison, right? So through the media, yes, and through what's happening around you, you might look over at someone and say, oh, I can't do that pose or I can't lift that weight. So look at your own progress. Think about your own personal accomplishments. It's very meaningful for us to have accomplishments. So why not savor and see that 1% gain becomes over time, as you learned if you've read the Atomic Habits, your upward slope is exponential. It just takes time and mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Tracy and I, we like celebrating the small wins. <laughs> Everyone we can get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Well, see, and I think you know that, you know, we support healthcare leaders in creating work-life balance. And one of the outcomes they incorporate into their blueprint, we help them create their own blueprint is a healthy lifestyle that Tracy mentioned earlier, exercise and other well-being or self-care practices. Now you have, you know, a lot of different roles. So as we mentioned earlier, you're, you know, you're, you just wear a lot of different hats and, a, and you have a very active life. And so how do you manage work-life balance? What are some tips you can share with our listeners? It's a great question. I get asked this a lot myself. Um, but I would say work-life integration requires attention, so the A, and intention with the I. I know it might sound similar, but both are important, and it really requires it daily. So I take, for example, time each night to set two to three priorities for the day ahead. I try and create some pockets of buffer time in my weekly schedule 
to allow for unexpected interruptions that occur. We know they do. But also time for a weekly personal oasis. So that's essentially 20 or 30 minutes in my week for play. Play is not just for kids. It's important for us as adults. <laughs> and I think it's really essential to re-energize and reboot ourselves. I practice backwards planning for projects and commitments, being well aware of the danger of the planning fallacy, which is essentially our underestimation of the time we need to complete a task or project. I believe in digital minimalism practices and set boundaries with my device use because we know that can be an energy drainer. As I've mentioned, I am a fan of atomic habits and habit stacking to build and maintain healthy habits. I wake up every day at 5.15 a.m. to attend 6 a.m. CrossFit and build the time needed in the evenings to practice yoga. I aim for high-quality sleep, knowing that it has so many benefits, but seven to eight hours of night is what's recommended, and I also meditate every evening. And all of these things help recenter me ground me and balance me. With our son who's in college, my Saturdays are now filled with teaching two classes of yoga on Saturdays and preparing a week ahead. That's another key. Again, always ahead, recording on my channel and working on the website and the newsletter. But Sunday, fun day, are spent in play. All walks, hammock time, puzzles, maybe the occasional Netflix or Hulu, but family time is threaded throughout. And I really feel that these small moments, these deep connections really foster and strengthen my well-being, my balance, my gratitude for all that I have been given, which is so much. Great examples. Yeah. Great examples. Yeah. That's what we strive to help individuals do as well with their blueprint is just to map it out and be, to your point, intentional and then give it the attention it needs every single day and every single week. Right. Yeah. And to know when you're to know when you're going off course, you know, because that's very personal too, to your point. So that's part of their blueprint as well. Absolutely. And we can always shift, right? It's an yeah. experiment. I don't like the term goal. Yeah. I always talk to um, patients and clients, colleagues, think of it as an experiment to try a TSN, a try something new. It may not work. Doesn't mean what you're trying to achieve is still not a priority. Just again, we're nimble. We have to shift and try something else. It's like trying to get my grandkids to taste something they've never tasted before. Their parents say, take a no thank you bite. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And they have to carry that one forward. If well, you they at least have to take one bite and then they can say no thank you. But don't make judgments about food until you've tasted it, you know, which I think is a great, which is a lesson for all of us, right? Yes. Don't say no until you've tried it. Very true. Yoga, CrossFit, whatever it is, right? Right. Yeah. Well, in closing, this has just been so much fun. I just love talking with you, Sina. And, but in closing, um, can you share with our listeners kind of like, what is your greatest hope right now for the healthcare workforce when it comes to well-being? Absolutely. So for individual healthcare professionals, I want you to know it is not selfish or self-seeking to put your self-care in your top priorities 
Just as we're told on a plane that we need to put on our own oxygen mask first before helping others, we are better positioned to sustain and overcome these potholes in life when we carve the time needed to take care of ourselves mentally and physically. The second thing, the happiness research tells us that the fountain of happiness can be found in how we behave, what we think, and what goals or experiments we set every day in our life. So essentially, there is no happiness without action. It may surprise our listeners to know that life circumstances do not significantly impact our happiness. What the research tells us is that 50% of our happiness may be be determined by your genetic set point, but only 10% is life circumstance. We have the power to change 40% that comes from intentional activities that can promote happiness in our life. We flourish and thrive when we find our flow. Go find it. Search for those things that align your skills with your level of challenge. When you and I are immersed in our work, the one, the work that we're so in flow about, we lose track of time. We neglect maybe even our physiological needs. You know what I'm saying. Our <laughs> leaders and organizers can support employee well-being, so to speak to our leaders and organizers, organizations, I should say, through a job crafting approach is a possibility to think about. So how to engage employees in designing or modifying responsibilities and duties. I think understanding the relationship between clinician well-being and patient care and safety enables healthcare leaders to allocate resources implement those programs, and develop key policies that effectively improve clinician and patient outcomes. Because poor well-being impacts a clinician's ability to provide high-quality care with an increase in perhaps embed errors and unsafe prescribing behaviors, which ultimately can also decrease our empathy and, and hopefully not, but can compromise patient-centered interactions. So my greatest hope is to see a culture of wellness efficiencies of practice, and personal and professional resilience. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. You're here. Uh, we that are our greatest hopes as well. Similar journeys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it takes, takes all of us too. You know, we had, we inter- had another interview this week and she made that point at the end is that you know, this does take a tremendous amount of collective thinking like this to and to bring keep bringing the message out for people that maybe have never heard how empowered they are themselves. And um, I think you just really brought it all back to it starts with each of us. Well, it's the gold band, right? Yeah. It's, it's the organizations we work in and it's right. our individual choices. Yes. Indeed, absolutely. Because well you said. can change the organization. But if you don't make your own personal choices and changes in those choices, you won't be really any farther ahead. That is right. And, and you know, that relates to our internal motivators while there are also external motivators and sometimes, or while there should be a little bit of both. But yes, it comes back mm-hmm. to individuals indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Sina. This has just been a phenomenal interview. And I just have to say, you're just inspirational. And I think uh, you're inspirational in the way that it, it, it's the possibility that I could do this too, and that others could do it. And um, that's really what I'm walking away with is don't let anything stop you. <laughs> 
That is right. There is no glass ceiling. <laughs> no, no. And I, I love your intention. You know, I think everything starts with intention. And you are really a walking role model of that. And, and to Michelle's point, right, just um, creating the space of possibility for people is what I see your gift is really very strongly. Just uh, no judgment, no expectation. Just let's go through this one step at a time, right? Let's, here's our tools. Here's the resources we have. Here's the benefits of all that. And then let's just chart the course and take one step, one foot in front of the other, right? Absolutely. And, yeah, I love that. That's really very inspiring and brings great sense of hope to those of us that don't have that same background and haven't had the experiences you've had to ignite our our passion and our fire for some of these things. But know that, you know, we can. We can start at any point. Absolutely. Everyone has this opportunity before them. It all starts with what goes on in between our ears, right? Mm-hmm. The things that we think, the tapes that we play. And shifting the dime to be uh, positive, optimistic, and, and you know, taking the first step. Yeah. Take one step forward, the other foot follows. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or you end up in a split. <laughs> yeah. Another, another experiment to pursue, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, it's just been such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for being our guest. Absolutely. Do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make before we wrap it up? I would, if you don't mind, like to read, uh, if there, if you don't mind, I'd love to read an excerpt from the book, Happy Mind, that I recently have been sharing in a well-being and resiliency course I've been teaching to faculty and staff at the university. And I really think that because of the time that we're in right now, it is really relevant. And it simply starts as this. Live in gratitude. Imagine you lost everything. Everything you own, your loved ones, your health, your freedom, everything. Now imagine you got it all back tomorrow. How happy would you be tomorrow? Be grateful on purpose. Learn to appreciate what you have, even the small things, all of them, every day. How can you expect more from life if you aren't even aware of what you already have? More won't do it for you if a little doesn't do it. Spare a moment regularly to salute life's little miracles and nuggets, even those that aren't that pretty. Watch them, touch them, hear them, smell them, feel them, talk to them. Treasure your blessings Write them down if you need to, maybe every day or every week, until you're fully aware of them. Find things to approve of instead of disapprove. Turn your common days into thanksgivings. Focus on the things that work instead of slaving away at an inventory of what is missing. Happy people cherish life. Softly hold on to the opportunity. Life indeed is a privilege. We are invited for a brief moment to experience its elegance. Behave like a guest to a once-in-a-lifetime event. Wow. What a great great. closing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's going to change my day today. (laughs) 
I'm so glad. It <laughs> certainly does mine as well. I get I goosebumps. I know, it's great. Goosebumps. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. That was phenomenal. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for all of our listeners for joining us for another awesome interview. And Sina, we just are, again, grateful and have a great day yourself. And uh, for all of our listeners, we'll see you on the next podcast. Stay safe and stay healthy. Stay strong. Thank you so much. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com, and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.